You shall observe to do, therefore, as the Lord your God have commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right or to the left. Revelation, please. The end of the book. The word tells us, Deuteronomy, do not turn to the right nor the left. And when the book ends, this is what it tells us. Since this is the end of the last book that's written, it addresses the whole book itself. From the commandments of Deuteronomy to, I mean, to the Pentateuch to now. Verse 18. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto them the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in it. The Lord bless his word. You may be seated. I'd like to share with you some thoughts this morning about the balanced life. In four places you'll find this ideal of not turning to the right nor the left. Deuteronomy makes mention of it. Also Deuteronomy is the one that will first mention about not add to the word of the Lord. Um, and then of course uh, Proverbs will be the last where it tells us not to add to his word unless he... Uh, he rebuke you or reprove you and prove you a liar. Then in the scriptures in the New Testament, we're warned not to add to nor take away from the word of God. Jesus gave us a commandment in which we're to live. And it's to, the kingdom of God is a right a whole, uh, obedience. And in his Sermon on the Mount, he gives four illustrations of what it is to obey and in one of them, it's the straight and narrow way. He talks about building upon his words. And uh, all of those illustrations there are th illustrations about obedience. If you're entered in the kingdom of God, you've got to go by the way of obedience, period. It's a straight and narrow way that we live. And in our life toward God, as Moses told the children of Israel, you don't turn to the right nor the left. There are temptations that come our way, or doctrines, or men, or our own wishes that may take us from the right to the left. It may not, it may move us from living a balanced life to where we just deviate a little. In building a house, there's a couple of things that you need to have. And one of them is a lever, a level. You can't build one without it or a plumb line. You got to have something that would bring balance to the whole house. And if you don't have anything to bring balance to the house and you just eyeball it because you think it looks good, hmm. That's, that, 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 that's pretty good. <laughs> it won't work. 
Now, to those of you who know what a level is, it's a piece of wood or metal, you know, a little block like it might be three inches here, two inches over there, but it looks like a two-before cut down, you know. And right in the middle of it, it has a little cutout, and it's got two lines, and there's a bubble in that glass. If everything is between the lines, it's level. If you deviate off one way or the other, it's not level. We needed a new, uh, we needed a new uh, uh, wash machine. So there's some young fellas brought it, we'd purchased it, they brought it to deliver it, and, and they put it in. And I said, is that level? I said, oh, have we got a level? <laughs> they pulled out a level, and it's a little small level. That's all right. It's big enough. And uh, he puts it down there, and he looks at it. That's good enough. Good enough is not good enough. Hello? That's what a lot of folks want. It's good enough. That'll, that's close enough to get to heaven. Good enough. Second time, are you sure it's level? All the 20, 22-year-old boy says, yes, it'll work. Okay. So, my wife comes home. And I tell Faye, we need to put some clothes in that uh, wash machine and see how it runs. She says, okay. Well, everything was all right until... Faye said, we got to send this thing back. Something's wrong with it. I said, no, it's just not level. What do you mean it's not level? I said, well, they measured it, and it, uh, they said it was okay. Did you measure it? <laughs> Did you put the level on it? I said, no, I didn't put the level on it. So I had to call them and tell them. And the boys come out, same guys come out. They put it on there, and he says, I don't know what's wrong with it. It looks good enough. And I said, look at the bubble between the lines. Well, I was looking at them. What's wrong with it? It's touching the line on the left side. Does that matter? It's in there. It's in there, but it doesn't need to be touching the line. Oh, it was an eighth of an inch off. Do you know what will happen to a wash machine if it's eighth of an inch off? If you don't know, God bless you. You've got level wash machines all the time. What I'm simply telling us, that balance is most important in our life. We need it. There are false balances, the scripture tells us, in the Old Testament, and it's an abomination for a man to have a, a, a false balance. You go up there, and they give you, and you want a, uh, a pound, you know, of food, and they've got the, or you buy a pound, and they've got it where it may off, you know. 
And what you're doing, you may be buying not 16 ounces, but 13 ounces, and they're charging you a whole pound for 13 ounces. Matter of fact, Subway got in trouble because they said that you get a 12-inch uh, a sub, you know. Somebody measured it, and it's off about a half of an inch. <laughs> and it took them to court. They did not have a full 12-inch sub. Now, we may laugh at that, but a half an inch taken away from everyone else, every, tough, uh, t every 12th one, they got a whole sub, okay, or 24. That's, that's, that's the importance of balance. We live in a world where we don't particularly care whether we're on balance or off balance, just so everything's going as we want it to go. And our lives may be rough and rough and hard, and we don't understand why, and we never check our balance. You understand what I'm saying? I don't know what's going on. I got up and down, up and down. People go up and down, up and down, up and down, in and out, in and out, and they don't understand what in the world's going on. Have you checked your balance? Have you got your spiritual level, which this book here is a level? Have you laid it down smack and found out Hey, I'm doing all right. Now, you may think that that's not important, but the Apostle Paul thought it very important because the last words that he spoke to the church at Corinth, he told them, examine yourselves, see whether you be reprobate or not, whether Christ dwells in you. Yes. So Paul wants them to know, I know that I am in Christ and you need to judge yourself whether you are in him or not. You see, they were, they, were, they were talking about him, some of him in the church, and, and saying he's not really an apostle and not all that. And, and uh, they had heard some false prophets and wanted to go with them. So Paul tells them, I know who I am, and uh, tongue-in-cheek as it were, but real. Why don't you check yourself? Check yourself. Are you in Christ or not? Oftentimes, we, we, we know... We know when people are off or out more than we know that we are in or out. We're more out to spend time on making sure that someone else is between the lines when we're off. We don't like to evaluate ourselves. That's right. When was the last time you evaluated yourself? Instead of bringing your problems to the Lord and talking about Him, about the things that are going on and, and I need help. When was the last time you went down and said, Lord, I want you to examine my heart and see if there's anything wrong with me. We need to make sure. You say, but I know what happened. Well, to me, it would have been, I know what happened 63 years ago when the Lord saved me as a 10-year-old boy. But if my salvation is dependent upon a childhood a commitment to God when I was 10, and if I did not live that commitment out day by day for the last 63 years, it would be worth nothing. Why? Because I wouldn't be where I am now. You can't depend upon what has happened previously. There are things that come. Once you put a level on a house, an older house comes, and it, it, they may have had it straight in the beginning, but this thing is off. 
The foundation is cracking. The walls are going down because there's not been any upkeep to make sure that it stayed in place. We need a little upkeep sometimes to make sure that we are in place. And that's not signifying that there's any sin or anything in your life. It's just making sure that it's all. And if some if some uh, temptation, if some uh, 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 fellowship or if some friendship or some uh, uh, lack of uh, or, or sickness or, or, or lack of money, they, we got all kinds of problems that come our way. And if we're not very careful, we can come by bitter because of that. And we don't check our bitterness. And we can fall from grace because of the root of bitterness. Come on. So what we do, we sometimes do not watch out our response to the circumstances that are around us. And if we respond negatively, we may be off a little bit. It's over touching to the right or the left and, and a little bit more push. And all of a sudden, we're out of balance and we don't know what's happened. It's because we have not always been thankful, whether in the good and the bad times. It's that we not always wore the armor of God. In order to stand in battle, in order to do certain things, you've got to have a full, sure, uh, sure footing. And some of us have taken off the gospel of peace or we don't wear it and we go to war and we haven't got shoes to stand. There are times when the devil wants to push you over. People want to push you over. And if you are not well balanced in your armor, you can be pushed, yes, defeated. So the important things for us is to live this balanced life. Now, to those of you who have heard me preach on Wednesday night and on Thursday night, I talked about receive and walk. Today we heard from our covenant about being in Jesus to receive and walk. I, I was startled by that. I was startled by it because, quite frankly, I'd forgot that that was in the covenant. <laughs> Me! Messer, tighten up here. <laughs> I get that saying sometimes. Anyway, there it was, I heard it. And I said, I just preached that. Wednesday night, Thursday night. I said, Lord, how you providentially ordained things to go around. He never led me to the covenant so I could mention it to the folks, but we heard it plainly this morning. A balanced life begins with receiving and walking. A lot of people want to receive him, but they don't want to walk in him. And a lot of people want to walk in him, but have forgotten how they've received him. Yes. They get in him, get in the church, and they add to or take away. They turn to the right or left. They still are all right, and they have forgotten how they have received him. And then they have received him and rejoice in his salvation, his lordship, and then they take off living their own life their own way. Hey, once we enter into him, once we receive him, it's no more us, it's him. It's not my will, but thy will. Christians should never struggle with their will and God's will. Amen. People talk about, I, I, have a wrong, I, have a, I have a difficulty uh, with my will. What's wrong with you? Yes. The old man is crucified. Right. 
See yourself dead. Yes. We sometimes think that since we've received the Lord, He's forgiven us of our sins, we'll just go on the way we're going because my name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life and I've got to work this thing out and do what we want to do. There are paradoxes in the Christian experience and we need to know them because they make us live in tension. There are certain things about tension, you know, you, you, uh, cars and all of that, they, they put you, got uh, shocks and, and, and so forth. And if one gets out of balance with the other, you know how you're going to live. You've got to have them equal. And uh, things need that way, like with uh, water and its balance. Got so much here, so much there, balance. All life that way. Matter of fact, life is built on that. There's a negative pole and a positive pole. You can have too much positive, you can have too much negative. That's right. You have to have a positive and a negative pole. If the, if the negative pole is not connected properly or the positive pole is not connected properly, you can have a problem. We got people who do not live their balanced life when it comes to being positive and negative. They only want you to be positive. That's all they want. And if they hear anything negative, they say, hey, we don't need any negativity around here. We're positive people. They're not positive people at all. They, want, they may want to be positive in their experience with the Lord, but they do not definitely live their uh, natural life in a positive way. If they did, they'd inhale without exhaling. If you want to be positive, inhale all the time, never exhale. You can't do that. If you inhale and you hold it long enough, parents are like that, you know. Oh, my son's holding his voice. He, he, his breath is, I, I'm scared about it. Don't worry about it. When he passes out, he'll breathe. You know? <laughs> Don't get upset. But he's turning red. He's turning blue. That's all right. In just a few moments, he'll pass out and he'll breathe. We get upset with a lot of things, you know. But life must be lived in a positive and negative way, a balance between the two. That's what God tells us. God speaks to us in negative manners. Thou shalt have no other God before you. You're not profane my name, you know. I make no image before me. And there's honor in regards to that too. There's out of those eight positive, uh, eight negatives, there's two positives. Honor, you know, keep the Sabbath holy and honor your father and mother. You know, that, that positive thing about uh, God and uh, the Sabbath and honoring, put all the others of our duty to the Lord in perspective. And if you honor your parents and respect authority, that'll take care of everything else in reference to authority. When there are people who disrespect, disrespect civil authority, have no regard to the police and like to kill them, it's because in their childhood, they were not pr uh, taught proper uh, respect and honor for authority. The father's been absent. The mom's trying to run a self-ragged, trying to bring up boys. And we wonder why it is that boys are growing up now wanting to be like women because they've not had a father figure in their home. We need it. God provided it for us. In the home, he provided for it. He provided a balance for us in our home. The, lovely, the, love, the loving kindness and sacrifice of a father and respect and reverence for authority by the mother. 
It provides a balance in which the children can learn that love and obedience is absolutely essential and that this is necessary with a father who sacrifices and loves his <coughs> children and their mother. It lets them know that there is a kindness. There must be on. You can't talk about a God, a Father, a Heavenly Father who loves you when you yourself do not love your children and your wife. Come on. There's a balance in our marriage. There's a balance in our family. And children need to go and do that. They need to learn where there's a balance and controls necessary. And to emphasize that important because children, if they do not know their boundaries, they go crazy. One couple came to the, the uh, uh, superintendent of our school, our faith school where she teaches, asked Dr. Barge, you know, could our son be enrolled here? We've had him in three other schools and it's not worked out. And well, we, we would like to, uh, could we... And she says, uh, yes. Do you have a teacher that would be good for him? Mrs. Messer would be the best teacher for him. <laughs> oh, could we talk to her? Yes. So Mrs. Barge calls her and mentions that there's a couple here that has a little boy and they're wanting to enroll him. And I suggested that you would be their mother. Would you like to interview them? She said, oh, yes, bring them up. Or their teacher, right? Yep, bring them up. So they do. And principal leaves. And Faye gets down to it. He says, well, after she greets them and speaks to the boy, now what's the problem? Why is it that he's been in three schools? He said, well, he has behavioral problems. Well, what are the behavior problems? Well, he likes to throw himself down on the floor and hit his head against the floor, run up against the wall. He has tantrums. Temper tantrums. Okay. And then he, he says things that he shouldn't say. Says things he shouldn't say. Yes. And they mention some things he says, and she says, how did he learn those things? Children aren't born with that, you know. Is that the way you talk with one another? Uh, they look at each other. Or is it to getting it on the television? Are you watching videos that they shouldn't be watching? Are you giving them children uh, comics that show such behavior that you talked about? Or have you got a, a babysitter or, or neighbors? This is learned behavior. This is learned speech. Where did he learn it? And they say, uh, <clears throat> you may not be the teacher that my boy needs. <laughs> and she says, I may not be, but could I speak to him? And they said, yes. And she tells him, in my class, you will not have tantrum in my class, you will not beat your head against the wall. In my class, you will not be disrespectful. In my class, you will play with the children and share. In my class, you will do what I tell you to do. That's it. 
I am not your mama and daddy. I am your teacher. And you will do what I say. And you will behave. And you will speak nicely. Do you understand that? He says, yes. He turns to his mom and dad and says, I want to be in her class. Are you sure you want to be in her class? I want to be in her class. He didn't know where the perimeters was at home. He could do whatever he wanted to do growing up. Now they're telling us that we can have our children three years and above to determine whether they want to be a boy or a girl. Crazy! Children have no intellect. They can't follow. They don't know right from wrong. They don't know what manhood and womanhood is. And we're trying to destroy the innocence of their childhood by emphasizing things that they don't even yet understand. Come off of it. It's a diabolical plot to destroy us, to bring God's judgment against our nation. We're just multiplying our judgment against God. We spit in his face and said, we're going to take God, your word out of school. And then we told them, we're going to abort our children. And then they tell us that we're going to have uh, 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 same-sex marriages and on and on. And now they're going to tell us that in our sports, boys who say that they're girls can run with our girls. And they're saying it's okay. And they can go in the bathroom. Something's wrong somewhere. America's gone crazy. There is no balance. Oh, used to, America was in a balance because of a Christian ethic. I know everybody in America wasn't Christian. All the fellows who founded our Constitution were not all Christian dedicated men, but they were ruled by the Christian ethic. The Word of God molded their character, molded their culture. Amen. We have moved from that under where we have, we have actually gone crazy. We have, we have rejected the Word of the Lord. We don't want it, and we're wondering what in the world is happening to us. If you deviate from the word of God and you have no balance, this is the moral principle of life. If you turn away from it, I guarantee you, there is nothing but a, a destruction and ruin ahead. God has been merciful to us. He didn't turn his back against us when we took the Bibles out of schools. He didn't turn his back against us when we said we'll kill our babies. He didn't turn his back against us when the, the Supreme Court said we'll legitimize uh, uh, homosexual marriage. He's not turned his back against us with all this transgender that is coming on. But I'm telling you, God's about full of all of this. The children of Israel went on and on and on and on until they went too far. And if we don't bring revival to our country in a couple of years, this country's going down because the uh, agenda of this presidency and of this uh, uh, Congress is to destroy everything we have. And what do we do? We're just sitting around, well, God will help us, or God's going to bring it out of us. I'm telling you, God's not going to do that. God wants the people of the Lord to be what they are. If we as pre-tribulation uh, period said, well, it's time for the tribulation, Jesus about going on. I'm just ready to leave this place. Hey, there's a lot of other things that's got to take place. And I want you to know, we're, here, we're in it for the long haul. We, don't, we need to say, Lord, come. But we need to live as if he isn't. We need, well, yes, that's right. 
That's right. We need to be able to say, I'm going to work until Jesus comes and I don't know it. We need not sit down. Paul told them not to be idle. When in the church at Thessalonica, they just sit down and said it's all over and waited for him. Paul said, work. Work. Live holy, but work. We don't need to go down. We don't need to live imbalanced lives. We need to live pure and holy lives before God. In the balance that determines life, a balanced life, there has to be a level. There has to be scales. Without it, there's nothing. You cannot go on what you think. I would never hire a man who with a contract, as a contractor, did not have a level. I would not hire him if he did not have a square. I don't need a square. I don't need a level. I don't need you. If we don't square up to this, if we don't level up to this, we don't need it. I'm not going to spend my time with people who won't square up to God's Word and level up to it. Amen. If a level goes bad, what do you do? You get another level. Amen. But this one will never, never, never go bad. And what have they done? They turned away from the Word of God and got them another level. It's culture. And now they, they, they balance. Here's God's Word, and, here's God, and this is the culture we live in, and we change, and things change. So, you know, that was just antiquated then. It doesn't apply to now. And so they got a different level. They leveled everything up by the culture. Or they level everything up by what they think is all right. Preachers won't speak against it. Churches won't do it. They invite it all in. Why? Because we love. I want you to know if all you have is love and there is no truth or discipline to your love, it will destroy you. We need, we need to balance don't turn to the right. Don't turn to the left. The Lord spoke to Timothy and said, Guard yourself. Continue in the doctrine. So you may save yourself and those that hear you. It's required of elders that they commit themselves to guarding their own life and continuing in the doctrine. Now, in reference to this, I want you to look at something where it says in Deuteronomy 5.32, Don't turn to the right or the left. Observe to do what God commands. And under this direction to observe to do what God commands, it says don't turn to the right nor to the left. That's just interesting. When God gives the commandments, He understands that we could deviate from them. And therefore, do not go to the right, do not go to the left. 
Not only that, in chapter 17, verse 11, priests were given the responsibility of teaching the Word of God. They also had the responsibility setting as judges among the people. Because the smaller cases they would take, it would be now given to the, uh, the Levitical priesthood, and if they had the responsibility, the judges would, to determine cases. The hard cases would go to Moses, okay? But they would determine. And what you were to do if you brought your case is that you were to follow their judgment. And in 1711, it says, according to the judgment of the priests. And you're not to turn from the right or the left. When the judgment comes or the sentence does, don't try to make it more than what it was or less than what it was. Then to Kings in chapter 17, 20. It tells us there that kings are to read the word of God and obey the, uh, and follow it. And interesting in verse 20, it tells us that the kings should not li- uh, hearts be lifted up. In other words, kings are to be careful that they don't become prideful. Everything centered in them. Because if they do, they could turn from the commandment of God. And the exhortation is to the leader, the king, and then all leaders. Don't become so prideful. Don't become so arrogant in your own life that you would add to or take away from the commandment of God. And then the last way in which Moses speaks is in uh, in, uh, Deuteronomy 28, 14. And here it tells us about giving to the speaker that they're not to... Deviate from the words of Moses. Not to deviate from the words of Moses. To serve or to follow after other gods. So the last statement of the first one was to observe all that God has commanded you. And then specifically, the words of Moses do not deviate them. Do not try to add to them or take away from them or go to the right or the left. Rather so that you can serve your own gods. Interesting, isn't it? That the last admonition found in going right or left is that we need to be careful of who we serve. Who's your God? Is it God or manna? Is it yourself? Who do you live for? And no pleasure. We do not need to add to nor take away from the Word of God so that we can have our own way. To go after our own gods. And many times when people deviate from uh, uh, externals that may be given uh, to how we are to live, God addresses those things. They'll talk about, you know, ultimately, well, I don't like this. I think that I can do this. Who are we to determine what we like or don't like? Well, Brother Mister, I got, I, I got an intellect. I got choice. Yes. It's a choice of the knowledge of good and evil. Yes. You have a choice. You can choose good and evil the way you think good and evil is or the way God says good and evil is. But you've got a choice. And the determination is who will you follow? And he says, don't deviate Don't go to the right or the left in the commandments of God so that you can serve other gods. 
Let us never try to depart from what God says and, and, and use one scripture again or another so that we may add to or take away that we can serve our own gods. Proverbs makes mention that we are not to add to. Deuteronomy makes mention in 4.2 not to add or or dimish. The last words of that is found in Revelation or do not add to nor take away. Two things the Lord mentions here to us. Don't turn to the right. Don't turn to the left. Don't add to nor take away. There are examples in Scripture of individuals who have added to God's Word and have taken away from God's Word. The first example of an individual who added to God's Word was was Adam. God gave man a command. The Lord God commanded the man. Elohim, God, translated for us in chapter 1. God created and created. God said, God said, God said. 26, 27 times. It's the Creator. And telling us how he created this world. And then when it comes up in chapter 2, it's the Lord God. Why? Because the God that created the heavens was not going to leave us alone. He knew that we would destroy our lives if left alone. So what did he do? The one that he created, he also will command him. Thanks be to God that he has not left us. That when he what created us, he intended to live with us and command us. And he commanded, rightfully he should, he made us. Rightly he should. Why should your children obey you? Hello? Such a ridiculous question, but I tell you, because I'm their parent. What gives you the right as a parent to tell your children what to do? Who gives you the right to suggest that a parent does not have the authority to speak to their children? So what we have is this adding to and taking away. So God would command him. He gave him directives, but they wasn't commands. He gave him directives telling him these things. But then it comes down to a real command. Matter of fact, God gave him some things and said, uh, Beware. Trust and obey all these things you can eat, but there's danger. He didn't tell Adam to remove the tree or to do whatever it was. It would be left up to him. Danger! There's danger in your domain. And God pointed it out. Adam left it. He should have taken it out, but he left it. Stay connected because he would name them. And he gave the commandment to his wife, I mean to Adam. Do not eat of the tree. If you eat thereof, you shall surely die. Now the Lord, after Adam looked at the animals that he was to name, two, one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two, one. Hey, hey, everybody's got two. I'm only one. So God saw it was not good for man to be alone, and Adam understood that as well. So now he created the woman out of his rib. And the Lord didn't name her. Adam wouldn't name her. Who gives you the right as a parent to name your kid? It's an inherent right. It's an inherent right. You have the right to name the street that comes on your property. 
It's your property, and if they want some of it, what would you name it? That's what the government will do. I mean, we have certain inalienable rights, you know. And we have certain inalienable rights because of our creation and because of who we are. So when it was Adam's responsibility to communicate it to his wife, and he added to it. That scene when the serpent speaks to Eve, you'll not surely die. She looks at it. She decides to touch it. She doesn't die. She told the serpent, we cannot eat it or touch it lest we die. God did not say that you cannot touch it. God said that you cannot eat it. Why did Adam do that? Probably to protect her and to protect himself. He bound himself more than what God would require. Eve, we're not going to touch it. If you're not going to touch it, what are you going to do with it? Live under its shade? What plans do you have for it? It appears that Adam wants this tree. He has made provision for it. You need to make very sure that you make no provisions for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Because if you make provisions for it, if you leave it where it is, it will bite you. Yes. The first one, Adam, is he added to God's word. That's what holiness people do. A lot of holiness people will take the word of the Lord and they'll see what it says. And if it's not very plain or something like that, they're going to add to it. And instead of allowing individuals, because there is, there is no way in which you know whether uh, one way or the other, and it could be one way or the other, then if we're not, not very careful, what we will want to do is push our preference upon someone else and make it a law for them. That's bad. That's bad. See, the Pharisees added to God's word and the traditions of men became God. Matter of fact, God told them to give to their parents, but they said, if you take the gift that was to be given to your parents, taking care of old, if you'll make that an offering to God, you won't have to worry about it. We're not to add to nor take away. Scriptures of thy such, there's principles, there are precepts, and there are preferences. It's possible for individuals to go beyond the adding of God's word, and that's bad. If the addition upholds a principle, a precept, then we ought to do it. For example, in Scripture, there's no word the Scripture says that you can't smoke. So people, because there's no clear statement, thou shalt not smoke, thou shalt not take marijuana, thou shalt not, you know, because there's not a clear precept, they go, I can do it because it doesn't say it. And yet there are principles that clearly teach contrary. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. I called him. I went to his high, I went to his business. He'd been smoking on the side. And the pastor walks in. <laughs> he tried best to get out and put it underneath the, uh, a drawer and forgot to <laughs> uh, snuff it out. And smoke coming and he had to quickly put it out. <laughs> and he said, he said, Pastor, you caught me. 
He said, but you know, I pray over my cigarettes. I want you to take, I pray and ask God to help me, to bless them. And I'm able to smoke them in good conscience because I, 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 I do what the Bible says. I give thanks to the Lord for everything. So I, I thank the Lord for it. Now see what he's done? He's taken the word of God and he's twisted it and whereby he is able to do what he does and that's what we do oftentimes. I know that's what he said, but it doesn't apply today and I think I'm all right where we are. Come off. Be very careful. So I said, really? Yes. I said, you know what? That's a good thing to live by. You think so? I said, yes. We're supposed, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. He said, well, I smoke for the glory of God. I said, whoa. Excuse me, please. Go outside. Get a cow pad. Bring it back in. Pray and eat. Huh? Pray and eat. That's what you live by. I pray for it. I eat it. Okay? Pray and eat. Pastor. That'll make me sick. Not if you pray right. <laughs> Did, do you not know that those cigarettes are worse than this? Oh, yeah. This might hurt you a little while, but you can get over it. But that is going to destroy you and destroy your body. Right. I said, the reason why you pray over so you can have good conscience to smoke it. Right. Come off of it. We can deviate from God's word. We can subtract from it. We can add to it. But what we've done is we violate. We've gone away from the straight path that God wants us. We've added to it or we've taken away from it. Pharisees added to the word of God. Sadducees, they're sad, you see, because they took away from the word of God. Sadducees, Pharisees, that's what they did. They added everything to God because uh, you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. Well, what is work? And they got down to where there's 200 and some ways in which you can't work. And, 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 and you can't walk a mile because if you walk a mile, what you have to do, uh, that, uh, more than a mile, then you work. So how did they get around it? Well, what, well they got around it is that they, uh, they would go on the Sabbath. They would go and, and uh, a mile away and maybe uh, put up something to eat that they could stop there and rest a while. And then they'll mark off another mile. How many miles? I, 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 I walked a mile today, and you know, and I, and I rested, and, and then I walk another mile. The, uh, people can come around, they can take the word of the Lord, and they can make all kinds of excuses for not doing what the plain word says. Yes. What don't you understand about not? Not. The commandments are that way. In our dress, God tells us not to wear this, not to put on that, not, not, not. And we say, it's okay here. You add to God's word. We need to be careful of whether we add to or take away. You cannot live a balanced life. It's the same thing with other things in prayer. Did you know that the Bible does not tell you Exactly how many hours a day you should pray. I found you, I'm yet to find where the Bible says that if you don't pray one hour a day, you're not a good Christian. It doesn't. No. 
And yet there are people who will judge your spiritual maturity. If you have not prayed one hour a day, if you're not prayed two hours a day, you're not the kind of Christian you want. Trying to put me on a guilt trip. Or you've got to read a certain amount of book or chapters or verses, and if you don't do it, you're not doing properly. Now, what the Bible does say about prayer, pray always. doesn't give you time. It just says, pray always. Well, Brother Messer, I can't pray always. Then what does the verse mean when it says pray always? If you were in your closet all day long, all the time, so that you would pray always, you miss the concept. To pray always simply implies that when your mind is free and you have opportunity, your soul soars to the Lord. Why? Because the inward man, no matter what we are doing, the inward man is constantly in communion with God. That's our problem. We do not stay in constant communion with the Lord. My heart, I don't sit around and make sure that my heart beats, 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 beats. Uh, if I did, I'd never get anything done. But my heart takes the blood, and I'm still going without any consciousness uh, of what the heart's going on unless I sit down uh, or have it, hear it, you know. And it's the same way with us. There ought to be an inward communion with God Almighty that does not uh, affect us in, a, in an outward way in which we speak with words, but when we stop. When we go to the prayer room, it's not that we have to make up something or say, uh, uh, you know, or ask the Lord forgive. There has been communion. Praise the Lord. There has been a time now in which we can come alone and be alone with him. God wants you to live in his presence every day of your life. Praying is nothing but living in the conscious presence of God Almighty. I can be with my wife. And we are. But we don't always talk to each other. Did you know that? Well, I'll let you know if you didn't know it. We can sit, enjoy each other's presence, and words don't even pass between us. Well, now we got to the th- now we got to the place where if I think of something in just a few moments, she'll say it. She'll say something, and I've been thinking about it. And I'm getting, whoo, this, this wellness is going to, going to thinking of the same things. <laughs> A balanced life. We not add to nor take away from. Do not turn to the right nor turn to the left. God does not want us to be pharisaical and add to the word of God. And he doesn't want us to be liberal as, as Sadducees and, and take away from it. God wants us to live a balanced life. But in the, living that balanced life, there is tension. Tension in order to do it. Because since we want to live by the word of God, what, do, what does the word of the Lord say? The, the Bible tells us that salvation comes through faith without works. You can read that in Ephesians chapter 1. And individuals who talk about that use that as, a, as an emphasis of, uh, of uh, once saved, always saved. Then you find as well where James says, faith without works is dead. Strain here. Everything's without faith, without works. And yet you can't have faith without works. Which one is it? Is it faith or is it works? Is it first faith and then works? Do we believe him and then continue to live our life? How is this lived? Because the Bible tells us that you are saved by faith without works. 
And then it tells us that faith, James says, without works is dead. Which is it? Faith works, hello? Faith works. Instead of trying to have faith without works, or have, uh, or have works without faith, we need to understand that faith works. We can live in the balance when you take, connect the two, praise the Lord. The tension that comes from one pool to here, there better be a, a, an equal balance of pressure to hold them in because if you give into the one, you get off balance. The tension comes to us. He tells us that helps us lest we live our life simply by works with no trust and confidence in God. Or if we get to the place where we have trust and confidence in Him and He'll take us to heaven regardless of how we live. There is a tension when it comes to living our salvation life. God is working in us to will and to do. Did you know that? That's what the scripture said. God's working in us to will and to do. If God's working in us to will and to do, if he's doing it, then I don't have to do anything about it. That's right. That's wrong. Because the next phrase says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Because God's working in us. In other words, working out our salvation is a partnership. God's going to give us grace to do it, and we're going to work it out as it is. God saved me. I'm saved from a sin. I'm going to work it out. That means when I work it out in my life, I'm not going to live a sinful life. When I work out my salvation, that doesn't mean I can continue in my sin, and God's going to work it all out. I've been saved, and that's it. You got it all wrong. You got to keep a balance. Not only that, did you know that the Bible tells us to love ourselves? Love your neighbor as yourself. And the same commandment says, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And Jesus says, upon these two commandments hang the law and the prophets. On these two commandments hang the law of the law and prophets. Now get a balance. You got one here and one there. And God says, the whole law is set on these two. On one there is love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. To balance that out, you must love your neighbor. But that's not all. You're to love your neighbor as yourself. If you put a God's love and then I'm going to love my neighbor, but you don't love your neighbor as you would yourself, it's out of balance. The only thing that can balance our love toward God is that we love our neighbor as we are to with ourselves. John says that. Who are you who say that you, uh, that you love God and you don't love your neighbor? The love of God will be seen in the love that we demonstrate to others. That's a balanced life. Some people want to be wholly devoted to God, but they don't care anything about people. I'm committed to preaching. I'm committed to singing. I'm going to do this for the glory of God. But they care little about the neighbor next door. They care little about their children. But oh, they got their devotion to God down. And they're able to live it and flaunt it. But they have no respect, no love, no reaching out to others. It's an imbalanced life. Others do the same thing. They're all out gun-ho, helping people and reaching the poor and doing everything they can. And they neglect their devotion to God. Yes. You can go one way or the other. Right. You don't need to go one way or the other. Love God. James puts it this way and talks about it. He talks about, you know, live separate lives uh, and uh, 
take care of the fatherless. What is a pure and non-defiled uh, 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 religion? To visit the fatherless and the widows and to keep yourself unspotted from the world. The problem with some people is that they're all separated from the world and don't want to uh, be, uh, be in, in it at all. So they separate themselves. And, and they take care of, of, the, of the poor and needy. They don't. And then... then those who take care of the poor and the needy and reaching out and doing good works aren't living separated lives. Why is it that we have to make a choice between the two? Why is it you've got to do this or that? Uh, we need to do both of them. We need to live a holy life and have a compassionate heart to those who need the Lord. Yes. Why is it that we have to have a one way or the other? Why is it that we have to have the fruit of the Spirit or the gifts of the Spirit. Those who aren't Pentecostal look at us and say, you don't much have much fruit in your place. You know, all you got is gifts, 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 gifts. I'd like to see some fruit from you folks. And then, and then the Pentecostal folks will come around, you need some gifts in your place. You're doing everything in your own. Wanting that. You need the power and the grace of God in your life. So off we go. Which is it? Gifts or fruit? It's both. Yeah. It's a balanced life. It's love. When Paul talks about doing gifts, seek love. And love is not a gift. People talk about this. Well, Brother Mister, I got the gift of love. No, it's not a gift of love. It's a fruit of love. The Spirit works in us to bring character in our life, to help us to live the way Jesus would live. But then he gives us gifts so that we can minister as Jesus ministers. Jesus just didn't come and love us. He came and bestowed upon us grace abundantly. He did what was good. He was anointed of the Holy Ghost and went about doing good. He displayed God. No man was like him. He had never committed sin. There was no guile in his life. He was holy and he was righteous, but his holiness and his righteousness would not help him to reach the world he was in. He needed the power of God. He needed the grace of God, and we do too. We need God's power in our life. Don't make any excuses. Well, I love better than they do. I'm, I know some people are spirit-filled, but they don't live like they are to live, and then we brag on ourselves. Can I reach back that far enough? Ooh, ooh. Well, at least I, I don't gossip like they do. And we get this attitude. Why? Why do we lean one to the left and the other? Because it mirrors who we are. We've got to, we've got to some way justify our imbalance. We don't need to justify an imbalance. I can tell a man all I want to. Why doesn't your car go? Well, the car won't go because I only got it on the positive pole. I'm not trying to get it started. It won't get started, sir, but I'm trying because I don't want to put it on the negative. Forget about it. Your car is not going to run. And forget about it. If you think that living a, uh, uh, the fruit of the Spirit or, or living in your negative life is going to sidestep the power of the Lord in your life, you're not going to do it. Holiness without the power of God can become legalism. And it also can become a way in which we turn away from Him. You can have the power of God. And what it happens you become like the charismatic group and all that. It's faith and it's gifts and it's all of that. We need somewhere a balance. God give us a people who know what it is to live in the power of God and display the fruit of the Spirit. 
It's a paradox. When God tells us, be dead yet live. How can a dead man live? If a dead man's alive, he's alive. He's not dead. And yet we got the paradox. The paradox. Dead. But alive. The Bible tells us to crucify. Crucify the old man. Crucify the flesh. That's putting to death. And then tells us we've been raised with him. Dead with him. Alive in him. Somewhere there needs to be a resurrected life. You can't live a dead life all your Christian experience. There has to be life. And they need to live in a balance. How can one who is dead yet still live? Paul puts it this way. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet it's not me living. The old man's dead. I'm living, but it's not me living. But Christ liveth in me. Glory. And the life that I now live, it's not by my own works. It is by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And I like what he says. He says that I'm dead, yes, but I'm alive. But yet, it's not me. I'm still dead, but Christ living in me. And then he tells you how he lives it, by the faith of the Son of God. Now, sometimes in some translations, you get that faith in the Son of God. And I suppose that could be a, a, a right way to do it, faith in the Son of God. I prefer, I prefer what the, new, uh, the King James says with the word of. I'm not going to argue with you about which preposition to use, but I, I, I prefer that. That's a preference. You want one, that's okay. You can go your way. But, that, but the of, the faith of Jesus Christ. What was the faith of Jesus Christ? The faith of Jesus Christ was ultimately seen when on that cross he said, Father, I commend my spirit unto you. He lived in trust of the Lord and obeyed him. And when God forsook him and he was all alone on the cross and only through the spirit was he able to offer himself, receiving the strength to become our sacrifice. What did he do? He did not turn away from God because God, his father turned away from him. He had enough faith to ever keep the Lord before him and in his right side. If you want to know the faith of Jesus, it is that God was ever before him and in his right side. And when it came to the greatest tragedy or the gift of his life he said father I commend myself unto you when you're at the end of your rope when you can't go any further what do you do do you grumble and complain I'm just going to give up and quit and leave this place oh no I commit my life unto him who gave it to me there's no way in which we're to doubt him we're to put our faith in Christ Jesus let it work let it work die that you may live now, the paradox of that is, is clearly seen by how Paul mentions in another place. I die daily. He can be referring to physical death. He can also be referring to that man being crucified. Crucifixion of our old man in the flesh is a moral death, not a physical death, which means that it can be resuscitated. In other words, you can turn back and go to the old life. You can make a decision and say, I want to live that way. I'm going to reject this. It means that there must be a constant commitment. <laughs> a constant commitment of being dead and alive. 
if ye didn't be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. For ye are dead in Christ. <laughs> Praise his good name. If you think one trip without any recommitment and reliving is going to help you, it won't. It won't. You sign up for the job. And, the, and your commander, I mean your employer, calls you. You didn't come in today. Oh, I know that. I'll decide when I want to come in. I'm, I'm glad, you know, I'm an employer. And I really commend myself to it. But today, I don't think I, 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 don't think I want to come in today. Uh, now, how would you like to have an employer or an employee like that? He signs up. He tells you he's going to do it. He's really committed to it. But the next morning, I don't think I want to go. Huh. God doesn't want us to come down to the altar and say, Lord, forgive me of my sins. Write my name in the Lamb Books Alive. And we feel real good that our sins are over. And tomorrow we said, well, I don't think I want to be a Christian today. It don't work that way. A commitment made under him is a commitment to covenant. And in, the, in a covenant, you don't talk about your rights. In a covenant, there is no rights. In a covenant, it's responsibilities. Yes. It's not what you want. It's what the other wants and what I must do to take care of those duties and responsibilities. Uh, and it becomes my responsibility to make sure that their rights are taken care of. And if they're a covenant, it's their responsibility to make sure that my rights are taken care of. That's right. When God came, he coveted everything to us. I want you to understand what's happened. At the cross, God has coveted everything with us. I'm bringing everything I got. Woo! The infinite God who created all things, all powerful, all wise, everything. All his riches and glory. Everything. I'm bringing it and I'm coming to you and living in covenant. What do you got? Lord, I, I, I ain't got nothing. Everything I got, you've given. I got a broken heart. I got a life full of sin. I'm as worse as a worm. I can't bring anything to it. But what I can give you is all of my heart and all of my life. If you can take me the way I am and make something of me, I'd appreciate it. All I got is me and me is worth nothing. And God says, let's go. Yeah. Hallelujah. Woo! Hallelujah. Well, what does it require that I walk with you? Just bow your knee confess that Jesus is your Lord and turn from your sins. And if you walk with me, glory, all we need to do is to receive Jesus. And if I walk with him, he walks with me. And I'm telling you, in this life with God, I'm getting the better of it. I'm getting the better of it. Day by day, I'm getting better. One fella came to me and wanted, wanted to talk about some things in my life. And, you know, of course I got kinks in my life and armor. But uh, this was 40 years ago. And, uh, and so he come to talk about some things. Not one thing was sin. Not one thing. 
He just didn't like my personality, I suppose. But he was, so after listening to that a moment or so, I, I just got fed up with it. So I turned away from him. I walked over to the window. I looked out the window. And I stood there for about a minute. He kept going, and all of a sudden, he became silent, and everything was silent. He had driven three hours to tell me what I should not do. Okay. So, silence for three, for a minute, and about half of it now, total silence. To me, without looking back, I called him by name, and I said, thank you. God's not finished with me yet. I didn't turn back, didn't return the look, and he stood there for a while saying nothing, and then I heard him open the door, walk down the steps, get in the car, and go off. I would meet him later, but he never said anything about the meeting. Never apologized, nothing. Your life in the Lord may not yet have reached its fullness, but keep the balance. God gives us leaders to perfect us as saints in ministry. In our ministry, it's not whether it's evangelizing or whether uh, uh, singing in the choir. All those things are important. But overall, our ministry is doing what is good. Jesus went about doing what is good. It's not my primary responsibility to determine what particular type of ministry you have. And it is not my responsibility to make sure that you are trained for that particular ministry. I can help you in evangelism or sharing or knocking on doors or things like that. But the primary responsibility of those who teach the Word of God is to perfect us in Christ, to help us build the character that we need, to become it. It is being and not doing. But oftentimes we think that all the ministry is is to help us to do what we're supposed to do. But if you become what you are to be, you can do what you can do with the glory and the honor of God. Yes. We are to perfect. And it says in that verse of Scripture, until we come to the perfect man. And then he tells us what the perfect man is. He is the full statue of Jesus Christ to the measure and the fullness of Christ Jesus. There's a measuring rod. It's a statue. And it's a statue of Christ, as it were. And, and, and in other words, we're to look at Christ in all of his fullness and in all of his glory of grace and truth and see the life of Jesus. That's the way I want to be. That's where I want to go. Is there anybody here who can help me to become like him? If you can help me to become like him, I need you. I need you. And that's what ministers are all about. That's the reason why we come to church. Not to run the aisles, not to feel good. That's all emotional. It'll pass, but I need to eat something. I need to hear something that's going to make me more like him. I want to leave this place more like Jesus. I want to live a balanced life. Amen, amen. When we come to church, 
And the only thing that we're concerned about is the shout, the song, the feeling, the good, running the aisle, speaking in tongues, and having a good spiritual gymnastics. We missed it. Also in the expression of my worship, I need not just to feel him. I need to know that he is close. I don't know if you've ever been there, but sometimes I want to go to the house of the Lord, not so much to sing a song or to feel good, but I want the presence of God to overwhelm me. I want to stand in the presence of the Lord and suck up, suck up the goodness of God Almighty. That's what I want. I want to find him. And not only that, I want to hear a word from God. I want somebody to tell me what I need to do to be more like him. And then we have people that say, I don't like that preacher. I don't think I agree with that preacher. I don't, I don't think that's, I don't like that. Quit it. Right. Quit it. Right. If that's the way you're, the attitude is that you're going to pick and choose, this is not a smorgasbord that you can choose what you want to eat or not eat. It is the word of God. And men who are full of God and living righteous, not hypocritical or seeking gain or so forth, but they are men of God and love the Lord. And when they expound this word to me, oh, praise God. Ooh, Lord, help me there. I got I to I do some work there. Oh, praise God. That's wonderful. That just mirrors who I am. Praise the Lord. We need it. We need it. You can't live a balanced life without ministry that's going to build you up in character and conduct. You got to have sound doctrine. You got to have the fear of God. You got to have a level. And give me somebody that can take that level and make it straight where I can see and know where I'm off that I may be able to be fixed. Amen. 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 Go on your way. I don't agree with that. No, I'm not going to do that. Go on your way. Let's not add to or take away. Quite frankly, I really don't have a time to add to or take away because I spend too much time in the book itself. If you love it and read it, you'll have no time to take away or add to. It'll overwhelm you. It'll overwhelm you. It'll overwhelm you. Wherefore, shall young man cleanse his way by heeding to the word of God. When you begin to read it, oh my, it changes us. The spirit changes us by this word under the ever uh, likeness of the Lord. Get what God's provided for us and I'm going to close. He has provided a ministry whereby through these godly men we are able to live the life of Jesus and be perfected under him. I need to grow in Jesus. Give me somebody who can Feed me the word of God that I may live therein. Hallelujah. Secondly, Lord, 
I need a family that has the same goals, that they want to be like Jesus. Give me people who love me and want me to grow up, and they're growing up in Christ. I need somebody beside me who's on the same journey. We're going together to be like Jesus. Amen. I need a book, Lord, that'll tell me how I ought to do. Oh, praise God, I got a book. Oh, Lord, help me that I can become like you. Glory, glory, glory. I'm going to live a balanced life because I got the level. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Amen. And I need somebody who will be patient with me and change me. And what the preacher has been talking about and what the word says and what all of us are wanting. Is there somebody who can change me more and more into the likeness of Jesus? Yes. What's his name? Holy Ghost, Comforter, Spirit of God, Glory, the Spirit of the Lord will come alongside of. Take this blessed book that he has written and inspire those blessed pastors and encourage me with the blessed saints. Oh, what a wonderful place. What a wonderful place. What a wonderful place to live. Live with the saints who want to be saints. Glory, hallelujah. Amen. I want to be a saint and reflect Jesus. I got a saintly pastor, hallelujah. I got saintly friends, oh glory. And I got the Holy Spirit, the sanctified, the holy, pure saint, glory. Hmm. Amen. What's wrong with us? We should be the most balanced people on the earth. We ought to be able to take the correction, take the reproof, and say, we're headed on, glory, hallelujah. We're going on. We're going to touch the world that we live in. And if God increases our influence, so be it. That means we'll gather others to us, and WPC can grow just from not members but the churches. But I want you to know it begins where we are. Let God give us the increase. Let him increase our influence. Let us be what he wants to be. The world is becoming dark because the lights are going out. I don't want my light to go out. I don't want WPC's light to go out. I want our light to shine. I want our light to shine. I want our light to shine. And when it shines, you see Jesus. Amen. Woo! Enough, Master, enough. Some of you, you need to quit fighting God's word and just do it by the help of the Spirit. Don't try to reason yourself to where you make yourself feel good in what you do. Others of you need to get a passion. 
You live indifferent or cold. You don't have the burning zeal of the Lord. You know, somebody else has to push you to do something. You know, look around you. See what needs to be done. Don't wait for somebody else to have to tell you what to do. Let somebody come and tell you, you don't have to do that. Other folks have got that. Amen. What does that mean? It means that when you're in church and you see a piece of paper on the floor, pick it up. Pick it up. That's somebody else's job. If you can learn to do small things, you'll be able to do great things. But when you're not willing to be faithful in small things, you're not going to do anything for God. Let us become faithful in small things. And let it not be that we have to do it because somebody else has initiated it or uh, embarrassed us, you know, or pointed us out. Let's look around. Jesus went about doing good. And he did not ask anybody, well, I wonder, what can I do good today? Uh, Peter, where do you think we are to go? What should we do good today? Jesus didn't ask anybody about what to do good. If somebody came to him and mentioned to it, he would go. But Jesus had an agenda. I've got other cities to visit. I've got other people to meet. And I am going to do good wherever I go. When you're at home, do what's good. Don't sit on the couch and do nothing. Kids, keep your room clean. Don't have mama to have to tell you all the time. Don't have daddy to be on your case because you're not hanging your clothes or you're not. Come on. You want to be like Jesus? Jesus was just as old as you was, and his mom and dad didn't have to tell him, Jesus, you're slothful today. You're lazy today. Joseph never had to take a, a, a discipline rod to Jesus. He was submissive to Joseph. If there's any way you want to grow up, grow up to be like Jesus. You're 8 years old. You're 10 years old. You're 12 years old. You're 16 years old. Be the best that you can. Be the best you can. And you can, my friend, if you have a love to be like Jesus. Receive him and walk in him and live a balanced life.